0: Otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a physician or healthcare provider, this podcast is for you. This is where we learn about trauma-informed medicine and ways to build resilience in healthcare organizations. And we do this through stories, your stories and the stories of your colleagues, other professionals and patients. We listen to each other to transform medicine with compassion and curiosity about what it means to be a trauma-informed practice or healthcare professional. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and leave with tangible tools you can use with your patients or at your organization right away. Today, friends, I am delighted Dr. Renee Thompson is here. She is the CEO and founder of the Healthy Workforce Institute. Renee grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she is the oldest of five kids. Mm-hmm. She has a doctoral degree in nursing, and together she and her husband, Ashley, have truly built a life that they love. 10 years ago, Renee quit her job, took a leap of faith, and started her own business, a business that was first just Renee, but if we fast forward to today and we'll hear all about it, she has expanded this business beyond her and enjoys watching her company grow into an institute that serves numerous clients around the globe. The Healthy Workforce Institute is a team of healthcare professionals led by Dr. Renee Thompson. She draws on her background as a nurse leader to share her message on creating a healthy, uh, excuse me, a healthy workforce culture by eradicating workplace bullying and incivility. When disruptor behaviors go unaddressed in healthcare, bad things happen. And so, at Healthcare But the Healthy Workforce Institute, that is all that Renee and her team are about, and we're going to learn about that today. So welcome, Renee.
1: Thank you, Amy. I'm really honored to be here on the show. You know, you and I had talked a little while ago, and I thought, oh my gosh, we're like sisters from another mother. I mean, we (laughs) have so many things in common, and I, I think that's true with a lot of people who work in the healthcare environment. There's just this, you know, we're drawn to it. Because we want to make a difference, we, we want to make it a better place and we want to serve others. And, you know, as you know, sometimes that selfless serving, it ends up harming us. Mm-hmm. And I always say when people are burned out, and they're stressed out, they lash out and who mm-hmm. do they lash out to, they lash out to the person standing next to them who's been standing next to them for 16 hours. Absolutely. And there, there's got to be a better way to to handle this. And, you know, as you said, I took a leap of faith, quit a great job that I love to start this company because I just couldn't stand around saying, well, that's just the way it is. That's I just the way to do something. it is. Yeah. yeah.
0: Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners about who you are or what you love doing or what you're up to right now?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, one of my favorite things is um, I'm a grandma. So I am Nani. That's my Italian grandma name. Cause my, I, um, I had a Nani growing up and she was the most important person in my life other than my mother. Mm-hmm. And so when I became a grandmother, I decided to take on her, you know, that grandma name. And so Olivia will be five and Lucas will be two. And if I'm not working, or at the beach on Sundays, because I live in Tampa, I am with my grandbabies who happen to live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm, I'm here in Tampa. So my husband and I travel there um, frequently. So they're, you know, the most important people in my life. And I think about them and their future. And I think about the world, okay? And we have our sphere here with healthcare, trying to make healthcare a better place. But how about making the world a better place? because they're in that world. And how many of you listening have precious loved ones in this world? And so it, it's another driver for me to, to keep doing what I'm doing, even though it's oh. not easy.
0: Kids and grandkids are good reminders. Need to make the world better, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, let's back up a little bit. Tell folks about how you got from nursing yeah. to you know, running the Healthy Workforce Institute? What was, what? fill in the gap for us?
1: Sure. Uh wasn't planned, let me tell you. It wasn't like, oh, I have aspirations of starting my own company. Um, I always say I've done everything that you can do as a nurse. I mean, from bedside, you know, i worked in home care. I worked for a managed care company. It was a quality um, director. I worked as a frontline manager. It was an educator. And then I had this, this corporate job where I was responsible for professional development about 10,000 nurses. And I realized when I was in that role, because I talked to a lot of nurses, a lot of student nurses. all they wanted to talk about was how poorly they were treated by the other nurses. and it would remind it reminded me of my own experiences. And I thought, you know what? I realized it didn't matter where I worked. Worked for a lot of different organizations or what role I had. Mm-hmm. There was always a group of other people who I swear made it their mission to make my life difficult. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, working in healthcare is hard enough without worrying about your coworkers making it harder. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, we've been talking about bullying and incivility for decades. Nobody's doing anything about it. So I mm-hmm. thought, enough is enough. I was going to do
0: something. So I did. Nobody's doing anything about it, Renee, because in the culture of healthcare, it's just kind of almost like assume this is how things are, that there's kind of this top-down hierarchical model, and there are certain people you will never call to the carpet, certain people you will never challenge or call on their behaviors. Um, And for the people that are listening, I mean, so many people listening know that this podcast is around trauma-informed medicine. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just echo what you just said, that often what I will hear from healthcare professionals is, oh my gosh, we are so compassionate with our patients. We are so incredible with the people that we serve and we are horrible to each other. Yes. So see yes. more about that.
1: Yes. And we have, so when people ask me, you know, why do we see more bullying and incivility in healthcare? Like we see more of bad behavior in healthcare than in any other industry. Wow. And one of the reasons is because we've normalized deviant behaviors. We say things like, that's just the way she is. She's a great nurse. Or you know what? That's just his personality. Mm -hmm. He's really a nice guy. Okay. (laughs) Or we make excuses for people who are so good at their job. Mm-hmm. They're so clinically competent that we ignore their bad behavior. We do workarounds. Um, leaders in general are even afraid to approach somebody who has been there for decades and who is very competent mm-hmm. because especially with the staffing shortage now, with the, in their mind, they're thinking, well, a bad nurse is better than no nurse. Oh, mm-hmm. that's faulty thinking. Is it?
0: Is it? Because Hundred percent. Oh, tell us a story, tell us a story like of an example of like a, a highly specialized person who everybody's like, we better just tiptoe around him or her because we can't not have them around.
1: I have probably a thousand stories, but I'll give you the general gist of what happens. Let's say, we'll just say it's a nurse. It could be a physician. It could be a, you know, any, any role. Someone is so good at what they do clinically competent. So there was a a critical care department where one of their, um, seasoned nurses, truly the physicians always wanted this nurse to care for their patients because she was so clinically competent. And when you think about, especially now we're hiring a lot of novice nurses. Mm -hmm. So you did not have The experience, because you know, to be a great nurse, it's not just what you learn in school, it's not just the clinical skills, it's that experience. Like, you know, you walk into a room without even touching a patient, someone with experience can, like, do, 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 do. I know what's wrong with that. Like, you could just tell. You don't get that right out of school, it takes time. So, but what was happening was this nurse, and I don't use this term frequently, she was truly toxic. It was her way or the highway. She was territorial. She would mark her territory. Like nobody was allowed to sit in her chair, use her computer. And I'll never forget hearing from the manager who reached out to me for help. There was a newer nurse who sat in her chair. And this was two o'clock in the morning, you know, and not a lot of people were around. And her coworkers warned her hey, that's so and so's chair. You better not let her see you sitting in that chair.
0: Oh my gosh, I can like,
1: feel it. Yes. It's like, I'm just, you know, putting a quick note in while this nurse came over and she says, you're sitting in my chair, you need to get up. It's like, I'm almost done. Just give me another minute. It's like, I said, you were sitting in my chair. You need to get up. It's like, I'm almost done. This nurse threw a cup of water at her. Oh no. And I said, oh my God, please tell me something was done about this. And here's the justification. Well, we told her not to sit in her chair. Like that's her chair.
0: We blamed the person who was sitting in the chair.
1: Yes. And that's just one of, you know, like I said, probably a thousand stories that I have. We end up creating uh, this situation where we tolerate bad behavior for all these different reasons. And as a result, we've just like I said, normalize deviant behaviors to the point where we don't even notice them. And if we don't notice them, we don't act on them.
0: We don't say anything. And then the person who's
1: acting out like that, they think it's okay.
0: So so go back to this, this point you made a minute ago. You said that it's actually worse to keep someone- Oh, 100%. ... engaging in this behavior, even though the, the felt sense in the culture is we can't afford to lose this person. Right. What's the data tell us about that? So, oh my gosh, there's so much
1: data recently that came out. Uh, The McKinsey report back in November basically said the number one cause of burnout and turnover is bad behavior, is allowing disruptive behaviors, even toxic behaviors to fester. Okay. Um, My favorite quote of all time now, this is my number one, Perry Belcher said, there's nothing that'll kill a good employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. Mm. So. And what happens is everybody is so afraid to speak up against that one person or that click. Sometimes it's not one person. It's a mm. click. The group. So afraid. Mm. The manager might be afraid to say anything because I know I was in a situation when I was a frontline manager. I finally... Had a conversation with one of my nurses who was, um, I was embarrassed to, to even call her a nurse, like a, a colleague, because her clinical skills were awful and she was meaner than a junkyard dog. Okay. She was <laughs> mean, mean to patients, mean to everybody. I finally, you know, had the courage to have a conversation with her. Now, I can't prove this happened. I can't prove it. But I'm going to tell you exactly what she did. She worked steady nights. She worked a lot of overtime. This was during the last nursing shortage we had years ago. She took a look at the schedule to see when we were the most short staff that she was working. And that's the night she called off, oh. knowing that I would have to try to find someone to replace her or I would have to work her shift.
0: Oh, my goodness. So
1: do you think I ever spoke up to her again? Hmm. Nope. Nope. I'll be honest, this was when I didn't know what to do. And so that's what ends up happening. But
0: I Amy, think all that- words remain like like bullying, manipulation, oh, retaliation. Ah. Yep. Oh yeah. So
1: then I was afraid of her too. I yeah. I had to tiptoe around her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my staff saw that. Mm-hmm. And then I lost credibility as a leader. And the challenge with a lot of leaders is they so want to be liked by their staff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Mm-hmm. They want their staff to, to truly like them. I always try to remind them it's more important to be respected by your, your team than liked. Mm-hmm. And how you gain respect is by having those hard conversations. Um I was in a situation where I gave advice. This was years ago. Gave advice to a manager who had a toxic person. And she, through a little bit of coaching, she finally, uh, as I like to call it, therapeutically extracted her. Mm. Okay. Mm. Even though she was the most clinically competent nurse, the physicians, quote unquote, loved her she was able to utilize some of the equipment there that some other people couldn't use. And I just kept saying to her, trust me, trust me, address this, get rid of her because she had already had the honest conversations with her. This was a person who was not, not willing to accept any responsibility. Okay. What is, what do you mean by
0: extracting someone? Terminated her, fired her.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I like to call it Therapeutic extractions. Okay. Because it, it sounds a little better, but you that is therapeutic for the rest of the team. Um, there is a, a book um, by Robert Sutton <clears throat> called, I don't want to curse, but the no ASS whole rule. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and he describes this where it's like when you have a team and you have that one toxic person. Mm -hmm. And you finally remove them. It's like everybody else had been in solitary confinement for a decade. And it's like they come out and they see the sun for the first time. Like, what is that big yellow thing in the sky? Because and that's exactly what happened in this department when the manager finally had the courage to address this one toxic person's behavior and remove her. Everybody else stepped up. They grew. It was, she said, I thought for sure that I was going to do this and I was going to regret it. She said, this was the best thing I've ever done because now my team is great.
0: All of those skills that they thought weren't replaceable, all of those clinical skills, practices, everybody else rose up. Everybody rose up. Yes, because they weren't under her thumb. Mm -hmm. They weren't Mm -hmm. under her thumb. So And how do you Um, speak to the worry, Renee, about like short staffing? Like we can't, we can't fire her because, or we can't let him go because then we don't have that person.
1: I remind people of this. Would you rather work short staffed with amazing human beings Hmm. who all work together, who got each other's backs, who go out of their way. It's not my patients, your patients. It's our patients who support you, who nourish you, all of that, or fully staffed with lazy, lousy people. Oh, that's Every such a- single time. Yes. I'd rather be short staffed
0: with great people. And so I just want our listeners to hear that, right? If you're thinking about, gosh, there's this toxic person in our clinic or in our hospital or wherever, would you rather be short staffed, but have a great, dedicated, passionate team? Or would you rather be fully staffed with lousy people? Yes,
1: it makes such a huge difference. I know, you know, working as a staff nurse for so many years, when I come into work, I'd look at the assignment board. It was never to see what patients I was caring for. It was to see who I was working with. Mm. I knew just by the names, whether or not I was going to have a good shift. It didn't matter what happened with the patients. It was all about the people I was working with. And so leaders really need to consider that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the short term. I need a nurse. I need a tech. I need fill in the blank but that's being short-sighted. You really have to look at the long-term implications of keeping somebody in your department who is probably chasing other people out. And right now those other people are your new nurses yeah, because they start and then within months they leave because if they're being treated poorly, they will leave you.
0: So when we think about you know, when I talk to folks about trauma-informed medicine, one of the things that mitigates stress or harm or, or trauma in a workplace is connection. And you just yeah. underscored that by saying, right, it didn't matter how hard my day was. It was really about who I was working with, who I felt connected to. And if there's a bully in there or somebody with toxic behavior, they're really hurting opportunities to have that sense of community as professionals.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were some nurses I worked with when I'll never forget overlooking the charge nurse's shoulder Mm -hmm. to see as she was making the assignments for the next shift. And I would be like, please don't make me give report to this one person. We'll we'll, we'll just say Kim. Okay, it's not Kim. Please don't make me give report to Kim. Please don't make me give report to Kim. Because I knew if I had to give report to Kim she would nitpick me to death and I would get this surge of hydrochloric acid (laughs) welling up in my stomach. (laughs) And then I want you to think about that. I worked a cardiac step-down unit for years and then I worked neuro step-down. If I'm worried about who I have to work with or if I'm worried about who I have to give report to, am I paying attention to my patients? It's a distraction, not only to patient care, but think about this if I have a surge of hydrochloric acid and I'm losing my peripheral vision that means I'm stimulating my fight or flight response that means my cortisol levels are super high and that affects my well-being that affects my ability to go home and be a mom and a you know a wife a sister it affects everything so it's not just bad behavior we have to look at the the long-term consequences of it you know of it when we don't say anything
0: yeah. And when we're in that fight or flight response, right. When we're surviving, we're not thinking, we're not learning. We're not. Nope. Okay. So let me shift gears. First of all, I just want to say, Renee, you're being really nice here because you're, you're using a lot of nurse examples, but I know in hospitals and in clinics and healthcare, like there's a hierarchical model about not challenging physicians and yep. certain physicians more than others, or the C-suite team, the, you know, the administrators you know, there's there's some power there. What do you notice about power dynamics within different roles in healthcare organizations?
1: Uh, I think the hierarchy in healthcare is steeper than in any other industry, and it shows up in a lot of different ways. It's one of the other reasons why we see so many disruptive behaviors go unaddressed in healthcare is because you have this hierarchy. You have the nurse or the physician at the top, then the nurse, then maybe the therapists, okay, and then the techs. And then you have your executives, your C-suite, then you have like that director level, you have your frontline level, and then sort of everybody else. And it's not having a hierarchy that's an issue. It's when someone uses their role Ah, as justification for squashing someone else, that's when it becomes a problem. However, there's another way that it shows up in healthcare, and that's tenure. I have seen some nursing assistants who have been in their role for 30 years that they're not going to let some young 21-year-old whippersnapper nurse tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. And so, and we see this a lot. So if you look at a traditional med search department, you know, an ICU, you know, you have your standard, you have nurses, you have some therapists, you have um, your support staff. But when you look at, say, surgical services or endoscopy or, you know, interventional radiology, you have a lot of different roles. You have techs that are actually sometimes what I have seen is the techs sort of bully the nurses, or sometimes it's someone in a, you know, who's managing that desk, making those OR assignments, who is the one in power. And so bottom line is it's not just nurses. It's not just one role. It's the entire healthcare team. And there are a
0: lot of factors, a lot of variables that actually play into that hierarchy. And I just want to underscore for our listeners, what I heard you say, which is like an epiphany, right? It's it's not the hierarchy. That's the problem, right? We, there are people that know more or have different capacities than other people, right? It's when they use that power to hurt or oppress other people. And absolutely true. In every organization. Okay. So tell me, I am, you know, uh, in a clinic or I'm witnessing this behavior or I'm part of an interaction with someone who's really uh, crummy to me. Yeah. Not just once, but you know, I kind of am dreading going to work now, Renee, because this nurse or physician or whomever it is, the scheduler, Mm -hmm. um, is really oppressing me. Can you talk to me about just some, some language? Yes.
1: Um, we are well known for our simple practical strategies. We do, um, there are three confronting techniques that we recommend and we teach people. I always recommend you start small, Mm -hmm. start with the easy stuff first. Okay. So um, the first thing that you do is get really clear on what the behavior is. Mm-hmm. That every time you ask somebody a question, they roll their eyes at you, mm-hmm. or they berate you in front of other people during shift report, or whatever it is. Just name the behavior. You're yelling at me in front of people. Mm-hmm. I just saw you just rolled your eyes at me. You just called me an idiot. Okay. So identify the behavior because. We can't, we can't change people's personalities. Don't even try. Like we spend so much time trying to figure out why somebody acts this way and what their intentions are. And, you know, you shouldn't have to be a psychiatrist to work with people. I mean, it certainly helps if you understand some, you know, psychology, but stop spending your time and energy trying to figure it out or think, why are they acting like this? Just focus on the behavior. Mm -hmm. You're yelling, so you just name it. You're not saying, stop doing this to me. You know, you're making me feel terrible. I hate coming into work when I see that I have to work with you. Stop all that. Just name the behavior. Because what that does, Amy, is it can actually act as like a you turn the mirror back on them. They turn the mirror back on themselves. They see themselves. Oh, I didn't roll my eyes. Or, oh, I wasn't yelling. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Okay, like, yeah, you're yelling at me. So we always start with the easy things. Whatever the overt behavior is, just name it. Mm-hmm. The second layer of this, um, we call it speak it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots four different communication styles. We all, each have our own natural style. The only style we should be using in healthcare is the assertive style, and that is honest and respectful. So what we really help teams to develop are their assertive communication skills. So You want to say to, you want to be honest with someone and say something like, Hey, do you have a couple of minutes? I want to talk to you about something. You know, I'm not sure you realize this, but there are times when, you know, you can be very condescending or intimidating or aggressive or, you know, whatever that is. And then give an example this morning, when I was, when I asked you a question or asked you for help, you threw down your the papers you had in your hand and you stomped away, like hopped and puffed. Like do you, do you ever work with one of those huffers and puffers? Like they stomp down the hallway and they're huffing and puffing. You're huffing and puffing. Okay, no, I'm not. And they're hopping and puffing.
0: But I worked, I worked by the way with a physician Renee, and I'll I'll let him remain anonymous, but um who was self-admittedly um hussin and fussin. He said, I'm <laughs>
1: hussing and fussin'. <laughs> oh. I like that one, cussing and fussing. But yeah, I mean, so you just have that honest conversation with them. We talk about something, not sure you're aware, not sure you realize this is what I see. And it's really uh, affecting not only my willingness to ask you questions and talk, but the, the teams as well. Okay, that requires a little bit more courage to have that conversation. But then the third confronting technique Amy, I'm a scripter. I am one of these people that if somebody says something rude to me in the moment, I I, I freeze. I don't know what to say. Or sometimes I say something stupid, but the next day in the shower, Mm -hmm. oh, I can think of all sorts of things to say. Oh, I should have said this. And then you ruminate over it, spending Mm -hmm. all that energy on Mm -hmm. something that you can't fix now because it's in the past.
0: I wish I I could have. Oh my gosh,
1: how many times? Mm -hmm. So scripting, and again, that is our superpower where we actually have a document, a resource that it's like 33 scripts when you don't know what to say to someone. So simple scripts, I already used one of them. I'm not sure you're aware, Mm -hmm. okay? Or I'm not sure you realize. Or you can say, you know, Um, what you said, what you just said is really offensive to me, but it's to identify a common situation that you find yourself in with a person, take a look at all the different possible scripts you have, pick one, practice it over and over again. So that in the moment, you don't have to think you just pull it out. So I have, um, My daughter was on, I have a a video series called Coffee and Conversations about Nurse Bullying. That's
0: how I found you. Okay. Uh, We have to plug that, Renee, because I want other people to know. I found Renee through Coffee and Conversations, and it's these short, sweet little YouTube videos that Renee has where she's just, and that's where I learned about stopping hands, right? Right. Put out your hand and say, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Stop please stop. Um, Anyway, so we'll link up to that for all of you in our show notes.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. And my favorite episode of all time is probably one of the only times I had a guest. I only had guests on just a few times. It was my daughter and she was working as a school teacher dealing with another teacher who was just rude to her. And she was only rude and embarrassed. She would embarrass her in front of other people. It was never when they were alone. And my daughter said, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't want to say something back because I don't want to embarrass her, but yet she's embarrassing me. So I said to her, Kate, I want you to practice the script over and over again. I said, next time she does that, just look her in the eye and say, I'm offended by that comment. And that's it. That's all you have to say. And my daughter was funny in the video. She's like, I was waiting. I was waiting for her to say something. And sure enough, she did. My daughter said, I'm offended by that comment. My daughter turned around. And this other teacher said, oh, oh, you know, I'm just messing with you. People will get defensive. You know, that's yep. expected. So my daughter turned back around and said, I'm offended by that comment. And then my daughter was funny. She said, I didn't know what else to say. It's like, I just knew I had to say that. Well, she worked with that teacher for another year and a half. The teacher never said anything like that to her again. Disturbing works. Yes. I Most of that. the time, not all I the time. That. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're dealing with human behavior here. So it's not a foolproof, but so many people have reached out to me to say, oh my gosh, I was dealing with this person. I used one of your scripts and it stopped the behavior.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I hear you say, you know, you can just start with something simple, name it. Yep. You can be a little bit more assertive and speak it with Mm -hmm. honest, respectful language, or you can practice it. And so That's one thing that your company is fabulous at, right? Just teaching these behaviors. Tell me what else you all are doing at the Workforce Institute.
1: Oh, gosh. So we started really just speaking, you know, raising awareness, speaking, all of our practical tips and tools, strategies, because even though everything that we do is evidence-based and we'll say, yeah, here's the evidence for this, here's the references for that we don't spend our time talking about the theories and why we're like, no, say these words to this person. Okay. This is how you handle that. So it really started with that. And then, um, really got into consulting, actually going into an organization, working with the leaders and their teams hip to hip Mm -hmm. over a period of a year or so. We have a system that we implement. It's called our Department Culture Change Initiative, where we actually transform the culture. And that's with the entire team, physicians, providers, everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also have an online academy. I was finding myself spending more time in hotel rooms and my own bedroom and traveling all the time to deliver these workshops. And so we launched an academy. It's our Healthy Workforce Academy. It's really a repository of different courses. Some of them are self-study. Some of them are hybrid where people get coaching calls with us. And, you know, we do live calls every month with leaders from all over the country talking about disruptive behaviors and how to handle them. So anywhere from, you know, I've written a couple of books. We still do a lot of keynotes and speaking. We have our academy and we do consulting. It's we, we always have a way to help an organization that's looking for help.
0: Oh, I love that. So that's what I was going to say. So I'm just going to ask you a series of if I'm a resident, you can help.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah.
0: If I'm an organization, you can help me. Of course. If I'm a team or a department, you can help Mm -hmm. me. Yes. Okay. So I want you all to hear that, right? If right now you're struggling with bullying, incivility of any type in your workplace, You can reach out to Renee's group. There are people there to help, Mm -hmm. whether you do that on your own or with a team or with your department or with your entire organization. But even I I always just tell people, don't wait for everybody to get on board. Like do it yourself first, work with a coach, talk to someone, do the, do the, what do you call the academy?
1: It's yeah, the healthy workforce academy.
0: Yeah. I mean, start somewhere so that you can begin to feel empowered. Um, do you have? I mean, I think about people who might feel marginalized um, mm-hmm. in healthcare organizations, whether that sure. be um, single parents, um, people of color, LGBTQ plus folks. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, some affinity groups, or do you have coaches that work specifically with marginalized folks?
1: We do. And we have somebody on our team It was funny, you were asking about residents, you know, physicians, when an organization reaches out and they say, oh, we're having an issue with our physicians. I'm like, I'm sending in Mitch. Mitch (laughs) is going to go in. And Mitch being a gay man, he is the one that we send in specifically if there's any marginalization, especially if there's any racism. Um, We uh, don't consider ourselves like we don't have a DEI Um, arm from our in our company, but it's woven into everything that we do. And that's why a lot of our programs, we we include coaching calls with that individual. And so sometimes they'll they'll schedule that call with me. Other times, depending on the situation, they'll schedule their call with Mitch. And then we have somebody else on our team. She's a licensed family therapist. And so sometimes like, oh, they need Bonnie. You know, they
0: need Bonnie. They need Bonnie. Inherently, you're helping people find voice, which I love.
1: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: okay. I know we're getting toward the end of our time here, Renee. Um, I just have a few rapid fire questions for you. Right? Oh, okay. Sure. I know you're a fast thinker, though. What's, what's one thing people get wrong about this work?
1: They think it's about being nice. Ah. I hear this all the time. Physicians are like, oh, what? You just want us to be nice to each other? Really? That's what this is all about? And I'm like trying to contain myself. Okay, <laughs> Like, wait a minute. <laughs> honest and respectful. Honest and respectful. And I said, well, I, I, I want people to be nice to each other, but that's not what this is about. We have evidence that shows that the way people treat each other affects someone's mom, mm-hmm. someone's spouse, partner, child. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to see all the evidence? I got a book. Okay, I got a truck truckload of evidence.
0: Truck of it, yes, yes. Um, If you could go back to young Renee as a nurse, what would you tell her?
1: Yeah, I would tell her to stop worrying worrying so much about what other people thought. I would tell her to speak up for herself more because the person I am now, I grew into this person. I wasn't Mm -hmm. like this before. Um, I was shy. I was, I wouldn't stand up for myself. I allowed myself to be picked on by other people because I didn't know what to say, how to say it. And that's part of why I I do what I do too. And even the work that I did in my doctoral program was to protect and bully-proof student nurses before they start their first job as a nurse. And it's because I wasn't equipped. I had a really bad experience when I was a brand new nurse to the point where I was going to quit nursing. And if it weren't for my boss calling me up at home on my day off, telling me you're a good nurse, you come back in, I'm going to change your preceptor. Cause there's some things that happened um, that I was blamed for. That wasn't my fault at all, but I internalized it. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be a nurse. I, I can't put myself in patients at risk. And um So yeah, I would have told myself to believe in yourself, stand Mm -hmm. up for yourself. Don't worry so much about what other people say or think.
0: I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Probably the toughest question here. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. What do you reach for?
1: Oh, um, popcorn, salt, butter, (laughs) popcorn with salt and butter. I am savory. People Same. find this really odd about me. It's one of those, you know, tell us something that nobody would ever guess or something weird. I've never eaten a candy bar in my life. Ah, no way. No, yeah, never. <laughs> I would say I'd have like a little mini piece of one, or a little, but I've never eaten. I'm, I'm not a, a sweet I'm a eater. Sweet I don't order <laughs> dessert. I don't buy desserts. I don't eat candy, but mm-hmm. I love me some buttered popcorn with lots of extra salt.
0: I love it. If if people want to work with you, Renee, or work with your company, what's the best way to reach you? And I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well.
1: Sure. Well, thank you for asking that, Amy, just go to our website. It's healthyworkforceinstitute.com. You can see what we offer, but you can also just reach out. There's a contact us um, form. And that comes directly to my husband, Ashley, who um, you know, Checks that every single day, he gets the email, and then we'll hop on a call and we'll see what we what your issues are. I always gotta know what's going on because you can't solve a problem or even recommend a solution until you understand the problem. And then we'll see if something uh we have is a good fit for you.
0: I love it. Um, thank you so much for Renee for being on the podcast. I think there are people who you know, are upstream. And then there are people who are responsive and you're doing a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my kids went to this school where they taught not just about what a bystander is to bullying, uh, mm-hmm. but they taught about, they taught them what an upstander is. Yep. And Renee, you're building a whole community of upstanders. Well, so I'm trying, I'm,
1: I'm, you know, one step at a time, one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our goal is to, you know, create a world where bullying and incivility are immediately rejected and kindness, professionalism, and respect become the new norm. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it is happening.
0: Mm-hmm. So thank, thank you. you so much. Have a great day. You're welcome. You too, Amy. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing your own because your humanity will heal others.